Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 876. Once again, our thoughts are with the brave people of Ukraine as they continue their struggle and their suffering through the horrors of the war. And they're also with the millions of Russian people who oppose the war, even those who have been prevented from really even knowing about it or much about it. Well, don't look now, but as we begin our show live on the 20th of March, it's World Sparrow Day. We were excited about this until we realized the day is focused on the house sparrow, Passer domesticus, which is not the favorite bird of all that many people that we know of, at least not on this side of the Atlantic. But who are we to keep it a secret? Here's the website address about it, worldsparrowday.org. We'll talk with Mike O'Connor more about it later. From our We Thought We Knew the Answer to This department comes this question. Why do starlings conduct those spectacular murmurations? Making those big swooping formations in the air. Creating those swirling patterns in the sky. Well, the conventional wisdom has been, I think still mostly is, that they do it to confuse predators who apparently just can't figure out how to snatch a single bird from one of those swirling flocks. But now some biologists suggest the birds may also be trying to create a way to invite other starlings to follow them to a roosting area. With the idea that, as in the murmuration, the more birds there are, the greater the odds against in any individual falling victim to an attacker. And also more birds means more warmth as they share their body heat. As for what we can learn from watching these starling murmurations, scientists say they could reveal secrets that could be used to design intelligent swarms of robots. Thanks to super contributor Jeff Collins for alerting us to this research. And by the way, Jeff has posted a link to a video about it in the Talking Birds flock. That's the Facebook group for Talking Birds listeners. Meanwhile, is there really a bird named after a Buick? Well, yes, sort of, and it's among those that a friend of the show has been watching in her Southern California backyard. And here's her audio postcard about it. Hi, everyone. This is Haley from San Diego. And that is a Buick's Wren. I'm out at my local lake. It's a beautiful day. feels like spring. And this little Buick strand is being very vocal. I'm also watching some blue-gray gnat catchers hopping around from bush to bush. Happy birding. Thank you so much, Haley. That's our second audio postcard from San Diego, I think, two in a row. The other one from our Freya McGregor, who's always hopscotching around the country. The Buick's Wren, by the way, is named after British engraver Thomas Buick, B-E-W-I-C-K, 
who collected the first recognized specimen somewhere around 1820. Buick was a friend of the legendary bird artist John James Audubon. Pretty safe to say he did not chase the bird in a Buick or any other kind of car. That's our mystery bird. <laughs> he was making sure you heard him there. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a bit later on in the show. We want to get you ready for it. So we'll give the signal a little bit later to call in and have a chance to win a $15 gift certificate to Beautio Books, home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. And a month's supply of Mary's Gone Crackers, Super Seed Crackers, four big boxes. And maybe a bonus prize from Wisdom Supply if we get to our bonus question. Our mystery bird is gray all over, more or less, but with black wings and tail, white patches on the tail, and a long pointed bill. It's a large songbird found in the high mountain regions of the American West where it feeds on large pine seeds. It's known, like its relatives, for being highly intelligent. You're welcome, and possessed of an amazing ability to remember where it has stored those seeds for later retrieval. Prizes, sound, and uh, clues there. A mystery bird contest coming up a little bit later. Here's a salute to some more of the royalty of the Talking Birds listening audience. Our ambassadors who uh, let us send us send them some of our little info cards that they hand out to friends and neighbors. And uh, would-be and new birders and existing birders, our ambassadors include Larry Ray from right down the road here in Situate, Massachusetts. Thank you so much, Larry. And thank you to Paolo M. from New York City. He says, my dad and I like to listen on road trips. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Paolo. And thank you to Lissa from Cornish Flat, New Hampshire. Lissa also happens to be a brilliantly talented artist, and we'll be talking more about her in the near future. And thank you, Lissa, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. It's so easy to do and uh, means a lot to us to help spread the word about the show and about birds and conservation you can join up very easily just go to the the um, what is it there it's the uh, get involved tab is what it is right there at talkingbirds.com the get involved tab still to come on our show today we'll pay a visit to the talking birds science corner with our very own debbie bleacher plus we'll make a cape cod connection with bird watchers general stores mike o'connor in a let's ask mike live segment about that World Sparrow Day thing and what it means to him. And up next, a bird that was extinct until it wasn't is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Many years ago, today's oceanic featured feathered friend disappeared, never to be seen again until 1963. That's when the black-capped petrel was rediscovered in the high mountains of Hispaniola, the island of the countries of Haiti and the Dominican Republic. This large petrel has white underparts, a brownish-black back and wings, a black cap, and in most individuals, a brown collar. In addition to Hispaniola, 
the black-capped petrel may nest on other Caribbean islands, too, possibly including Dominica, Cuba, and Jamaica. Like other seabirds, it spends most of its life on the water, from the Caribbean to the Gulf of Mexico, and the Atlantic Ocean from northeastern Brazil to the eastern U.S., coming to land only to breed and traveling to and from its high mountain nest burrows under the cover of night. The black-capped petrel often ranges hundreds of miles from its burrow for its nocturnal foragings over the warm waters of the Gulf Stream, plucking squid, fish, and other sea creatures from the ocean's surface. The black-capped petrel is listed as endangered by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Its challenges include introduced predators and habitat loss from forest fires and development on land and oil spills at sea. It's getting some help from initiatives like the American Bird Conservancy's Marine Program, which works with partners to mitigate threats and protect the birds' breeding areas. Long believed to be extinct, and now fighting for survival, it's today's featured feathered friend, Pterodroma hasitata, the black-capped petrel. Welcome again to our show. It's uh, number 876. We'd like to invite you to visit our website. We like it and hope you might too. That would be TalkinBirds.com. And uh, always the reminder that there is no G in talking, at least in this case, TalkinBirds.com. Well, science is always marching forward, and that certainly includes the world of birds. And we're about to learn about another such advance with our Debbie Bleacher in the Talking Birds Science Corner. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I think she's there. Good morning, Debbie. Hey, good morning, Ray. <laughs> so, Debbie, we hear that there now exists a giant spreadsheet of measurements of every species of songbird all over the world. Fact check, true? Oh, yeah, and I've got a lot of numbers for you to prove it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, all right, so um, get your numbers hat on. Um, a team of researchers from all over the world has published anatomical measurements of all 11,009 living bird species. That's not just songbirds. That's all of them. All bird species. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yep. It's called AVONET, um, A-V-O-N-E-T. And it contains 11 physical traits like beak shape and wing length for 9,020 individual birds from 181 countries. Don't make what? me repeat that. <laughs> no, you have to repeat it because my note says 90,000 individual um, birds. Oh, that's right. Yep, you're absolutely right. Sorry, 90,020 individual birds. You thought yeah. I wasn't good with numbers, but obviously. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that is, uh, as you yeah. say, though, that is an incredible uh, lot of measurements there. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, yeah, so it started as huge projects often do as the project of a grad student. Uh, reminds me of my grad school days, but I was not, I was measuring Chinese syllables, not birds, believe it or not. But this, this student, um, Catherine Sherrod at Imperial College London, wanted to get a data set of all the passerines, that is the perching birds. Um, her advisor, Dr. Joseph Tobias, must have thought she was nuts because that's about 6,000 species, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when she completed the work, Tobias thought he might as well continue the project. Um, so anyway, um, AvoNet is available to anyone. Uh, it was just published in a special issue of Ecology Letters <clears throat> as this giant 
giant spreadsheet. Um, in fact, it's in four separate files. Um, you can down and you can view them without downloading them. But mm-hmm. I was curious, so I tried to download one of them, even though I thought it might make my computer explode in a cloud of feathers or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it didn't. I, I gotta, it didn't, right? Uh, your, no, unfortunately. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't hear a boom over there, uh, then I, 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 I'm fine. Um, but I got to tell you, before this, I'd never seen a spreadsheet with a million rows. Is that? I mean, is that a literal number? A million? A million yeah. rows? A million rows? Yeah. Okay. A million rows. I know. I, I thought it was you know, like just um, you know my my spreadsheet program just mm-hmm. not even bothering. But no, it really is a million rows down mm-hmm. at the bottom. Yeah. So how how did they how did they make this? Um, by measuring lots and lots and lots of museum specimens. Now, remember that podcast extra I made you about Hog Island Audubon? No. I mean, yes, no. of course I do. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you can find it in our archive, um, TalkingBirds.com archive, and you, and you search on um, uh, Hog Island. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned how to make a museum specimen out of a dead bird. And the researchers for Avonet took a series of measurements on more than 90,000 specimens like mine at museums all over the world. Wow. Okay, I I got yeah. it so far, but why why exactly are they doing this? <laughs> For fun, no, um, because it is really really useful. Um, so, uh, in fact, before Avonet was even finished um, in 2020, that that grad student um, Catherine Sherrod mm-hmm. published an article about a correlation between wing anatomy and flying range, and that could help us understand how well certain species might adapt to habitat destruction or climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, another more recent study shows that bird species with more diversity of shape, like specialized beaks, uh, tend to have lower risks of extinction. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that one go by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in the future, Avonet measurements could, for instance, help us estimate the maximum size of fruit a species could eat and that and how far it might travel before excreting the seeds. And that could tell us about how those plants might spread. Um so there are like there's so many uses for these data, uh, and I'm kind of wondering why nobody thought of doing this before. Yeah, well, maybe the maybe the climate change aspect kind of get, kind of accelerated it a little bit because that's obviously an essential one to. Uh, oh yeah, to know about. yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. So what about now? Any any further plans uh, in the future for this database? Uh, yeah. Um, so first of all, the researchers, the researchers want to fill in missing data for, believe it or not, there is missing data in this huge thing. Um, uh, so they've got, they've missed about 100 species, and they want to add um, information from more individual exemplars of each of those species, of each species when they can find them. Um, and they also want to add information about life history and behaviors um, of, of species. Um, but what, something I think is really cool is that they also would like to create a community-driven aspect to the database so people could contribute measurements from living birds, you know, because right now they're all from museum specimens. So, um, like, when we banded birds at Hog Island, we took a bunch of measurements um, whenever the bird would let us, and the hope is that um, the researchers hope to get funding to allow people to upload data and have the website validated so that um, uh, measurements from living birds could be added. Mm-hmm. So this is another yeah. citizen science thing here going on. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, oh, and that brings me to one more cool thing about this database I just want everyone to, to be aware of is that publishing it makes museum specimens available to everyone in the world with an internet connection. So wow. let's say, you know, there's a grad student in a developing country who wants to know I don't know, about the wing shapes of birds that catch the most mosquitoes. And she can't hop a flight to a country with a good bird collection. But she could just use the Internet connection at her university library to look it up. 
So it really democratizes um, all these good museum collections. Mm-hmm. Wow, Avonet is what it's called, right? A-V-O-N-E-T, yeah. Avonet. Fascinating yeah. stuff, Debbie. I guess that's why it's in the science corner. <laughs> that would do it, yep. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Oh, you're welcome, Ray. My pleasure. Our Debbie Bleacher there in the Talking Birds Science Corner. And uh, what's coming up next here uh, uh, on our Science Corner? That, I mean, on our show. Well, that was the Science Corner, was it not? Coming up next would be our Mystery Bird Contest uh, in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. Here comes that bird again, just warning you here. Get ready for the screech. There it is. A mystery bird, pretty much gray all over, but with black wings and tail, with white patches on the tail, and a long pointed bill. It's a large songbird found in the high mountain regions of the American West, where it feeds on large pine seeds. It's known as are its relatives for being highly intelligent and possessed of an amazing ability to remember where it has stored those seeds for later retrieval. That's kind of what makes it famous. That's kind of its claim to fame, our mystery bird this morning. Here's an important note, by the way. If you're not hearing our show live today and would like to in the future so that you could enter our mystery bird contest, that's easy to do. Just go to TalkinBirds.com and you'll see how to do it. Just click the listen button there and get all the uh, info on that. Very easy to do. And our live broadcast, by the way, is on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern time. And our prizes, if I didn't mention them this time, a $15 gift certificate to Beautio Books, home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. And a month's supply of Mary's Gone Crackers, Super Seed Crackers for Big boxes of Mary's Gone Crackers. Bonus question awaits if we have time, and it looks like today we might. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, more about World Sparrow Day with Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. beauty Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. My name is Melissa Hodges, and I'm calling in from Mobile, Alabama. 
I encourage everyone listening to become a Talking Birds ambassador, even the littlest of listeners out there. As a first grade teacher, I love spreading the joy of bird knowledge to my students, and they can then in turn spread them to all of their friends. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family at TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. Let's check in now with a man whose favorite bird in the entire world is Passer Domesticus, the house sparrow. That would be our Mike O'Connor down there at the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. <laughs> I, I can't I can't talk long today. i got to get to the parade. <laughs> got to get to the big St. Patrick's Day parade. You're going to the one up in Boston? Yeah, I'm, at, I'm picking up Sully, Fitzy, and Murph. We're all going up. <laughs> all right, don't forget to stop in the fours for a couple of smart ones after the parade there. <laughs> well, I think that place is not open anymore. Never mind. It's not open anymore. Uh, yeah, Boston has a very big St. Patrick's Day uh, parade, kind of, uh, kind of famous around uh, around Boston. Yeah, no, I know it. You know, and I, I, I've, I've never been, but someday this could be the this could be the year. This could be the day. <laughs> this year they're doing it. I think at a place called Castle Island, which is at the end of South Boston, which is a big birding place. So it might be a little challenging to do a lot of birding there today. I hope folks are are ready for that. The, a parade and birding, it's a winning combination. <laughs> Green beer. <laughs> they go together perfectly. Yeah, no, well, no the, more beer, the more beer you drink, the more, more birds you birds see. You see. Actually, yeah, correct. good point, yeah. <laughs> but we're talking about a particular bird. Uh, it's World Sparrow Day, and we found yeah, out speaking that... Speaking of it, parades, the parade for World Sparrow <laughs> Day is, is today. It's, it's actually today, the 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a, a day that started actually in India um, um, about 10, 11, 12 years ago. Hmm. Show with a, a surprising thing is because uh, some people there were upset with the decline of the house sparrow, yeah. which Jeez. which is a shocker to me. You know, in this mm-hmm. country, it's like having you know uh, a natural toothache day. Nobody wants <laughs> this, right? It's a thing that nobody really is in love with. The sparrows yeah. are an introduced species. They've been a problem. They've driven out uh, bluebirds, native birds, uh, purple martins, mm-hmm. swallows. They're, they're a big problem. And the population in this country alone is like 150 million. And these people are worried about the decline. So when you think about it, it's kind of stupid. But then when you think about it more, in these countries where it is native, they have declined. Sure. And, and if a sparrow, a house sparrow, a bird that, you know, and... You can find in any city, living, you know, living off French fries and cigarette butts is declining. Maybe it is an indication that, you know, things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And, and in England, it's dropped by 60%. We're, we used to call them, right, I think some we used to call them English sparrows. English sparrows, yeah. Yeah. But we call them other things, too, English. but we can't mention that on the air here. But. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so there they are declining, and it's kind of a... a and like anything else, when bird numbers drop, people pay attention. And the reason I think some of the uh, farms have disappeared, some of the smaller farms where the birds thrive, but also these birds are mostly seed eaters. They like to see so they'll dominate a feeder, especially you know in certain areas. But in this, like most birds in the spring, when they have their their babies, they feed them insects. Um, and these insects are getting harder and harder to find. So this is like the indicator bird. When a tough bird like the house sparrow is starting to drop, it's not a good sign for all the other things. So this 
World Sparrow Day is, is kind of pointing out that if the house sparrows are starting to drop, maybe we got to pay attention to all the other things. Then it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all pointed to, I think, those pesticides that everybody likes to spray on everything mm-hmm. all the time, which is, which is not that such a good thing. They brought, those were brought here, by the way, by a, a well-meaning gentleman, right, who thought they would kill a lot of the insects, except, as you mentioned, they don't really eat insects except uh, at nesting During season. the breeding season, yeah. Breeding yeah season. They thought, um, there was two stories that I've heard. One was because the birds go to, back then, in the, in the 1800s, of course, the cities all had horse-drawn buggies going through, and the sparrows would, they thought, would eat the, the, the manure, the horse manure, when they would just they really thought, that, oh, let's get rid of the manure, we'll get some birds. Well, they didn't eat the manure, they just ate the seeds that were in the manure and then spread the seeds more. And then also, it was thought that they would eat some of the insects that were a problem at the orchards, like apple and pear orchards and stuff. But like you just said, it's, their, seed, their insect eating was fairly limited. And since then, they've kind of exploded, and, and they cover all of North America, and South America, and parts of Australia, mm-hmm. and um, parts of Africa. And, you know, I mean, in fairness, you know, it's kind of, some people in the city wouldn't have any birds if it wasn't for the house sparrows. So I yeah. guess we can't really slam them too much, but like, you know, at the parade this week, there'll be plenty to clean up after this parade and Southie goes through. <laughs> yeah, we can still slam them if we want to, I think. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks so much. All right, I'll see you at the parade, right? I'll see you at the parade and talk to you next week. It's worldsparrowday.org, by the way. Now back to the Mystery Bird Contest. Sorry about playing this sound again here, but uh, we'll just play it. uh, There it is. 781-837-4900. I say 781-837-4900 is the number. And Tom is in somewhere in the great state of Illinois. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Barry. How are you doing today? Doing well. We're in Illinois, if you would like to say. It's Skokie, Illinois. It's about two, about to be 15, 20 minutes outside of Chicago. Okay. North. All right. Skokie, Illinois. Well, you heard the clues there, and you heard that uh, lovely sound of our mystery bird, uh, Tom, and you say it is what? The Clark's, the Clark's Nutcracker. Clark's Nutcracker sounds good to me. Absolutely right. What an amazing bird. Um... This bird can remember... You and I can't remember where we left our keys, Tom. I shouldn't speak for you, but I can speak for myself about that. But these birds can remember hundreds or maybe thousands of seeds that they bury um, in the next uh, in the next season and coming and get them for, for winter winter feeding. Pretty... Uh, you know, it's amazing, you know, given the, the, Cor- the Corvid family. That's right. Part of the Corvid family with crows and ravens and jackdaws and magpies... And I, think, I think people underestimate uh, the bird capacity in yeah, terms of what they yeah. can do. Yeah, we're, we're learning more about that all the time, about how intelligent birds really are. Hey, Tom, we have time for a bonus question if you'd like to do a try. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. And again, this is not a direct bird question, but, you know, it's a conservation question, so that's kind of what we're about here. So it's a multiple choice. Some time ago, United Airlines started doing something that caused a very small reduction in weight on their planes, but that nonetheless resulted in a savings in fuel costs by burning less fuel, of course. How did they achieve this very small but important weight reduction? Was it A, by using lighter paint on the exterior of the planes, B, by using lighter weight carpeting inside the planes, 
C, by printing their in-flight magazine on lighter paper. Or D, by providing passengers with only six peanuts instead of eight. Those would be uh, your choice. Not D. Not D. Okay. No, you still get eight peanuts, I think. I think they're sticking with that. So, uh, I think it can't be because if you, no matter how you apply it, you're going to get, it's going to be hard to play get a later coat. Yeah. So okay. it's not mm-hmm. You're so doing a good process of elimination here. I like this. So B or C, mm-hmm. a later paper. And then you said a carpeting. Carpeting, yeah. Hmm. What do you think? One of those two? It's a, to- it's a toss up because the thing is. Uh, <laughs> okay. What's your guess, um, Tom? I'd probably go with. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'd probably go maybe go go with the. Uh, Come on, Tom. Okay, I'll go with paper. Going with the paper. Good job going with the paper. That's right. Almost seems like the most unlikely answer, but it was right. Hey, nice job, Tom. Good job. Lighter paper. Tom, stay on the line. We'll get uh, all your info and send you those nice prizes. Yeah, everybody. Have a good one. You too, Tom. Tom there in Skokie, Illinois. And that mystery bird, by the way, in case you missed it, was the Clarks. Nutcracker. Next, uh, next week, we'll learn about short-eared owls and salt marsh sparrows with superstar birder Sean Riley. Sean Riley is our special guest. And uh, thanks for being with us. See you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Video Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Videobooks.com.